Welcome to Edgemont Bible Church in Fairview Heights, Illinois, where our mission is to glorify God by guiding people into a discipleship relationship with our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's listen in to today's message by our pastor, Douglas A. White. Revelation chapter 17. If you take your Bibles and turn to Revelation 17, and we'll be starting with verse 7. We have a lot more to look at when it comes to Babylon. Uh, so when, when you're thinking about um, if you're finished with Babylon, no, we still got another whole chapter to go on Babylon in uh, chapter 18. So we have some more things that we're going to be doing there. Let's get ourselves uh, acclimated to where we're at. John has just been taken. Uh, John, I, I just can't even imagine what it would have been like to be John. All the things that man has seen that are totally out of any human experience. I mean, he's, he's getting to see things that are going on in heaven. He's seeing what the future is all about. He's getting to see all of that, and, it, and he's having to describe things that he's never seen anything like before, trying to describe it with things like he has seen before. This is a fantastic book. This is a a book that should build up every believer in the Lord Jesus Christ and encourage them. It is the revelation of Jesus Christ, not the hiding of Jesus Christ. Some people, when they come to this book, say, I don't understand that book. It's such a hidden book. No, it's the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's not meant to be hidden. It's meant to show you what it's like. The problem is going to be it's not written in language that I am accustomed to. It's not written in images that I'm accustomed to. And I'm I'm having to think, well, those must be imaginary things. I'm going to share with you. No, they're not. That's what he was seeing. You say, well, um, they were all literal. When he says it was like something, it's like that. Not literally that. It's like that. So we want to use regular language with it. We're not going to violate the principles of reading and the principles of language. Here, John has seen... He's been picking up and taken to a, uh, a wilderness area where he has seen a woman riding on a beast. And the woman is uh, uh, called Mystery Babylon, the great, uh, the harlot, the great harlot. Uh, she's called the mother of all abominations and harlotries in the, the world. And that's for all time. This is, this is the one who's the source of it. And I'm guessing from what I see in the scriptures here that John's mouth must have been kind of open because he's going to, he's going to ask him here in verse 7, the angel said to me, why did you marvel? What were you surprised about? And John is going to, be answer, going to get an answer to that question in just a few moments. But uh, what I want you to see is this, that John's seeing things that are actually going to happen. These, these are ahead for us, kids. These are things that I don't know how far in the future they are. They could be 100 years in the future. They might be six years in the future. I don't know when they are. And I'm not called on to know when they are. I'm called on to know that they are. And when I see those, I'm, I'm knowing this. Second Corinthians chapter 5 said, Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. When I read this book, I'm seeing that, man, there is wrath going on here. There are things happening here. There's millions of people being destroyed. There's things that are going to be changed that will never be brought back again. There are some marvelous things to look at here. When I recognize that, kids, I recognize that God gave us insight before it happened. 
so that we could look at and be encouraged and know this is what's ahead. This is what judgment is about. And we want to go to all our friends and say to them, God is calling you now to avoid this judgment. Here's a judgment that's coming. Here's the way to escape that judgment. Jesus is your ark. Jesus is your escape. Jesus is where you go. This is your redeemer. This is the one who's going to take you out of that judgment there. Let's go ahead and look at uh, Revelation 17. And let's take a look at what he says here in verse 7. But the angel said to me, why did you marvel? I will tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast that carries her, which has seven heads and ten horns. The beast that you saw was and is not will ascend out of the bottomless pit and go to perdition. And those who dwell on the earth will marvel, whose names are not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world, when they see the beast that was and is not and yet is. We are told earlier that this beast, let's go back to 17, um, three, where he says this, so he carried me away into the wilderness. I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast, which was full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and 10 horns. We have seen something like this before. Let's go back over to Revelation 12. Go back to Revelation 12 just for a moment. And we saw that there was a woman there who we identified at Israel. Uh, Revelation 12, 1, Now a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a garland of twelve stars. Then, being with child, she cried out in labor and in pain to give birth. And another sign appeared in heaven, uh, behold, a great fiery red dragon. See that fiery red? That's the same words used for scarlet. This was a scarlet beast. So he was a fiery red dragon having seven heads and ten horns and seven diadems on his heads. Now, that's going to make this beast that we're looking at in Revelation 17, that one we went on to identify as Satan. The Scriptures identified that for us. We didn't have to come up with some identification. It told us that's what it was. If you're still back at Revelation 12, look back and it says in verse 7, and war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought, but they did not prevail, nor was place found for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. So I don't have to come up with an identity for it. He told me who it was. He told us that it is the, the, the devil, the dragon, was that one. And we now have a, another beast here of the same description. He's scarlet like his father. Yes, he is the seed of Satan, all right? He is the seed of Satan. He's scarlet like his father. He's full of blasphemous names like his father was. He has seven heads and he has ten horns. That's what this beast looks like. That's the description of this beast. Now let's talk a little bit about where that beast has come from. What's the origin of it? Let's go to, to look with me at verse 8. The beast that you saw was and is not and will ascend out of the bottomless pit and go to perdition. The beast was. So this beast was long before the time of John. This beast had been before John. So this is however far back this beast goes, and I think you have to read the book of Daniel with the book of Revelation to understand what these beasts are really all about because the descriptions of the beasts are just like the beasts that were described in Daniel. Uh, so if... Um, this beast has been around for a long time. We can know it's at least as far back as Daniel's was. 
we can know that the beast that Daniel was seeing was even uh, had already been in existence before Daniel got to see it. What Daniel got to see were the seven heads, or four of the seven heads, I should say. All right. So let's let's take a look further. Go back to Revelation 17. If you if you left there, it says the beast that you saw was. So this beast was, but it goes on to say is not. So the beast is not right now. Now, again, the beast has seven heads. This beast has appeared before, and he was, but he didn't appear with all seven heads. Each head appeared at a different period of time. So we'll, we'll get to that in just a second here. Notice what else it says about him. He will ascend out of the bottomless pit and go to perdition. Okay, let's go to Revelation 13 just for a moment where this guy was introduced to us in the first place. Then I stood, verse 13:1. then I stood on the sand of the sea, and I saw a beast rising up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and on his horns ten crowns, and on his heads ten blasphemous name. Uh, 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 his heads, a blasphemous name. Now the beast that I saw was like a leopard. That's a reminder of what Greece king, was as a kingdom. The beast that I saw was like a leopard. His feet were like the feet of a bear. That had reminded us of Persia. And his mouth was like the mouth of a lion. That had reminded us of Babylon. The dragon gave him his power, his throne, and his great authority. He's coming up out of the sea. And as we tried to share with you before, the sea has been seen as the covering of Sheol. That's the covering of death. That's the covering of the bottomless pit. So he's rising up out of the bottomless pit, just as he's described here in Revelation 17. So this is something that's been alive, but it's been in the bottomless pit. Its time is being selected by God Almighty. It's not his own time that he's figuring out. He's not a God. He's not in charge. The Father is in charge, and this Father is the one given the timing. The Father is drawing him out of the abyss, the, the pit, so that he can do the judgment he's intending to do. Everybody with me on that? All right. So let's go on further. He'll ascend out of the bottomless pit at a time future to the recording of, that John is making just then. Today, this day, today, we're, we're sitting here today, he's still in the pit. He's not out of the pit yet. If I can say, he has seven heads. Those heads have revealed themselves. Now I'm going back in my timeline here. This is the timeline of the creation of earth to the end of earth over there. This beast has shown himself. Let me get past Adam and Eve. Let me get past Abraham. Let me get past, let me get up here to about where the prophets are. And this is where Babylon's going to show itself. If I can go back just a little bit further, and I'm going to find there was another one there. Nimrod had formed a kingdom called Babel. That is the forerunner of Babylon. All right. So moving back up, one of the heads that's going to be shown to Daniel is the head of Babylon. The next head that's going to come up is going to take Babylon out of the way. It's going to be a bear with ribs in its uh, teeth. That was going to be the one that comes. Then following that was going to be a leopard that was going to tackle the bear and do the bear in. And that leopard was, was uh, Greece because Alexander the Great moved so, so quickly. Following that was going to be a beast that didn't have description. It was just known as terrible. 
It was an awful beast. So whatever that was, that was the fourth one. That was Rome. And Rome is a head that's here now, not the beast. You follow where I'm at? He's showing himself he was not the beast when it came to Daniel. When all those descriptions there, he was not showing himself as all seven heads and ten horns. He was showing himself as his individual heads. So one head pops up, another head pops up, takes that one down, that head, that head is standing up, another head takes that one down, and the next one's standing up, another head takes that one down. So you have four heads, but not the beast. You have that fourth one standing there right now. You follow where I'm at? Now, let me, let me go a little bit further with you because I, I want to remind you again, the Bible is a book that is written to Israel. It's, we get to uh, respond to it. We get to read it. So it's for our benefit, but it's a book written to Israel. By the time I get to Abraham right here, the rest of the Bible is about Israel. Any other nations that are involved in it are the nations that had something to do with Israel. Everybody with me? They had something to do with Israel. If they didn't have something to do with Israel, they're not mentioned. You don't hear China mentioned. Why? China doesn't have anything to do with Israel. You're not hearing the lands of Africa mentioned. Why? They don't have anything to do with Israel. You might hear Ethiopia. You might hear Egypt. But you're not going to hear the rest of Africa. You're not going to hear anything about the United States. Why? It didn't have anything to do with Israel. The Bible speaks about the kingdoms that had something to do with Israel and about Israel. It's Israel's history. Why? Because at the time of Abraham, he chose Israel as his own peculiar people. They are his own personal possession that he's got on this earth. He gave them a particular land, and it is their land. He gave them a covenant to live with in that land. If you're a part of Israel, then that land is where you're supposed to be. Everybody with me? If you're not a part of Israel, you have been designated to all the other nations around who were given those to a rule over them. Fair enough? All right. Let me go a step further. So when he says the beast was, he's been back here all this time, but he is not. He's not being seen as the beast. He's being seen as one of the heads. All right? Now, if I can say, the reason I brought up the whole matter of uh, this book being about Israel is that there was another kingdom before Babylon that had something to do with Israel. Who was that? Egypt. So you had Egypt that had something to do with Israel, who kept Israel in captivity. So Egypt is going to be there. So I'm going to have Egypt, Babylon, uh, Assyria. Well, let me make sure I, I'm saying these right. Babylon, Babylon. Yeah. I'll do that. It's coming up in another page. I'll, I'll do that later. All right. But for right now, just let me say uh, this about when it says he is not, it simply means the beast is not being seen. The heads are being seen. Now, let me go further with you. He is destined for perdition. He wants to make sure we get this. Look, if he would, in verse 8 again. The beast that you saw was and is not will ascend out of the bottomless pit, but he's going to perdition. In other words, this is not something that's going to be ruling the rest of time. This is something that is short-lived. When this beast comes out, 
It's coming out for a very short time, and then it's going straight to perdition, straight to destruction, straight to hell. All right? Let me go on further. Uh, The point we have here, number four in the outline, over history, each of the heads have made a cameo appearance, gaining strength with each new appearance. Its strongest appearance will be in the future when the strength of all the heads are gathered into one. Now, let me go back here. Uh, No, I don't want to do that yet. I will. He's the promised seed of Satan who opposes the seed of the woman. Genesis 3.15 had made this statement that there would be enmity between the woman and Satan. There would also be enmity between the woman's seed and Satan's seed. So it was already letting us know that Satan was going to have offspring too. That's why this beast is the seed of Satan. This is the one that's going to oppose the Christ. As a matter of fact, this is the one we're going to call, but in our terms, the Antichrist. Everybody see where we're at? All right. So all these different heads have made their appearance. This one is the promised seed of Satan who opposes the seed of the woman. He is the creation of the dragon to be the incarnated king through whom Satan will rule in his perverted plan to be like God. He is not simply a spiritual being, but he has incarnated manifestations in the eight kings through whom he has ruled in the past and will rule in the future. Now, let me see if I can explain what I mean by that. There are seven heads on him. And of those seven heads, four of them had already been, I shouldn't say four, five of them have already been seen. Because by the time Daniel was written, Israel was already free from Egypt. Egypt had been one of those heads that held them. Then Babylon, then Persia, then Greece, now Rome, all right? He's not simply a spiritual being. He's, in, he's the incarnate, incarnated manifestation of these. There always is with each one of these kings or each one of these heads, there's a king and a kingdom. And they are seen as one and the same. We'll show you that in just a second. The seven heads on the beast are seven mountains. All right, let's take a look at what we mean by that. Let's see, let's see what he says here. Um, let's go back to um, Revelation 17, 9. Here is the mind which has wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sits. So the woman is sitting on the heads of this, uh, these beasts. That would mean that she had been sitting on the heads of Egypt. So whatever she's doing, she's guiding Egypt. She's, she's enticing and, and, and uh, seducing Egypt. She was on the head of Babylon. She'd have been on the head of Persia. She'd have been on the head of Greece. She'd have been on the head of uh, Rome as well. Now, guys, they don't all worship the same way. She's seducing each of them. She has one goal, the conquest of the world and the use of all its resources. That's what it says about her earlier. Now, those seven mountains, let's see if we can find out what those seven mountains are about. Seven mountains on which the woman sits. The mountains are the high places of worship, a place to meet with the gods. She is seen then as a religious system by many. Now, I want to just stop here just for a moment. The scriptures talk about over and over why there were high places. And they were told, don't go to the high places. Don't do the high places. The high places were places that were set up 
to worship the gods. That's where they would call down the spirits. That's where they would have frenzied uh, celebrations. That's where they get very uh, caught up in the celebration, oftentimes sacrificing children on those high places, oftentimes doing horrid things there, immoral things there. That became a part of their whole worship ceremony. So Israel was told, don't go to the high places. Why? High places are intoxicating. High places are places that can be uh, that can draw you in when the frenzy of Babylon is present on them. When uh, one at one point when uh, we were in India, we were speaking to a tribal people. They were they were a neat people. I don't think anyone is any more gracious to us than those people were. That that's the people that had a, a celebration of our coming there and made us take our shoes off. They washed our feet. They put down a special carpet for us to walk on. I'm thinking, what? But anyway, we're we're cleaned up and we're all. And they gave us special scarves to wear and special headbands to wear and all that stuff because we were going to bring to them the word of God. That was important to them. Okay, and that's the way they they treated those who who brought them the word of God. But at the close of our meeting, there was a, they wanted us to stand up front. There were three of us, uh, Dave Greiner, Emerson, and myself, and we were supposed to pray for people. So they formed great big lines in front of us there, and then we prayed for them. We'd ask them what it was, the translator would tell us what that means, and we'd go ahead and pray for them. Well, as I was praying, I noticed over in Emerson's line, who was right next to me, there was a young lady about three people back from where he was, and she was... Uh, just a, a young, pretty young lady. She was. She just kept going. And I thought, what in you? So she gets a little bit closer, and before she can get to Emerson, she went straight back, just passed out like that. And everybody backed off from her, got back in line, and just left her there. Man, I... I I said, can somebody help? Do we have a nurse? Is there anybody that can look this over? And she, so I'm trying to feel, yeah, her heartbeat's okay, but nobody wanted anything to do with her. And finally, a lady comes, picks her up, and they took her out. So I asked Yajak, who was our, uh, the one we were working with at the time, I said, Yajak, what, what was that about? He said, uh, nothing, nothing. What, is she epileptic? Does she have seizures? No, no, she's fine. She's fine, don't worry about it. So we were there two years later, and I'm standing, I'm preaching, I look back there, and there's that girl. And so I looked at her, and she looked back up. She smiled real big, then she looked back down again. So when I sat back down, I said, Yajak, is that that girl? Yes, that's her. What, what happened to her? I will tell you. So later he said, that girl did disobediently what we told her not to do. We told her not to go into the high place in town because there's a celebration going on there. The time that we're used there is called the celebration of light or something like that. And there's, it's just wild, frenzied parties all night long. She had gone to the party against what all the elders had told her to do. And she had encountered there a demonic force that was at the frenzied party. Now, listen to me what I'm saying this, kids. Frenzy is not a Christian way of worship. Okay? It is not. 
That's the Babylonian way of worship. And so when they're caught up in this frenzy and they're getting all intoxicated by it all, one of those demons attacked her. And that's what was going on with her. The elders got together with her. The reason they took her out, they didn't want anybody to talk about it or know about it. The elders took her to their, their house. They prayed for her and cast that out. I mean, I say that's not a normal Edgemont Bible Church activity, all right? But that is what took place with them. And they warned all the kids afterward, we told you not to go to the places of that worship. Don't go there. That's what a high place was. Everybody follow me? So when you see seven mountains, what she's saying is this was the high places of the people who worshiped a different way. That's why people think of her as a religious system. Matter of fact, most of the commentators are going to say that Babylon represents a religious system. No, she doesn't. She represents lust. She represents the frenzy that people get into to have what they want to have. That's often seen as a religious system. That's often seen as a way for us to do some religious something. She's the one who's responsible for religious frenzies. Everybody understand where I'm coming from? It's her way of doing things. I played bass in rock bands. And the last band I was in was a good band. It, it really it takes a while for someone to finally get together enough that you can make yourself click. When you make yourself click, it's good. I mean, it's, it is a, um, if I can say it, a religious system in its own. You can get caught up in that very, very easily. And the way we operated, and, and believe me, there's a psychology behind it that there's no point going into. I can just tell you this, that we could take our music and get people to do anything we wanted them to do. Our main goal in the bars was to sell liquor. And so we learned the system of how to get people thirsty so they'll want to buy liquor. That's how you make money, kids. That's how it's done, okay? So all that frenzied stuff was going on there. And then we could play and get them really hyped up and have kids do anything we wanted to do. I, I felt like one night we could have said to the kids who were there, burn this place down and they'd get her done. And then I left that. God delivered me from that. And then I, I came to some Christian meetings, and I found exactly the same thing going on. And I said to myself, what is this? What, what are you doing? And I saw that, that same thing happening where... Jumping, the frenzy, the, the action that was going with it, all the, the movement around, which was exactly what we saw. And I want you to know, no band I ever played in was a Christian band. We were not looking for any spiritual goals, but there is a spirit. It's the Babylonian spirit that sits on the seven mountains that creates frenzied worship. I recognize what I'm seeing here has nothing to do with the Spirit of God. This has to do with the Spirit of that music. It has to do with the Spirit of the things you're drinking to make that music sound even better. It is the pharmakia of Babylon. Does that, does that make sense to you? It's the sorcery of Babylon. 
And it works. It works very effectively. I wonder how many letters I get on that one. All right, here we go. She is the intoxicating spirit of any lusty religion, especially with blood involved. She drives people to do what they would not think of doing without her assistance. I, I, when I think about when it speaks of Mystery Babylon, Mystery Babylon says that the people were drunk with the wine of her fornication. Why would you say that? Why would you say drunk with the wine of her fornication? Because the wine you're going to take in from following her leads you to frenzied, unthoughtful behavior. You're just doing what feels good. Everybody follow what I'm saying? And doing what feels good will take you away from thinking. Now, do you wonder why Paul said in Ephesians 5.18, be not drunk with wine, in which is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. What will it look like when you're full with the Spirit? You are singing songs and making hymns in your heart, singing melodies and praises unto the Lord. You're teaching one another with it. You're giving thanks unto the Lord. You're submitting one to another. Kids, that is what a Spirit-filled worship looks like. It is not the Babylonian worship. Let me go a step further with you. These heads are also kings. Listen to what it goes on to say. Here's the mind, that, uh, verse 9, here's the mind which has wisdom. Seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sits. They are also seven kings. Five have fallen, one is, and the other has not yet come. When he comes, he must continue a short time. The beast that was and is not is himself also the eighth and is of the seven and is going to perdition. Now, let's break it down a little bit. These heads are also kings. It says five had already fallen by John's day. Five had already fallen. Now you see that special code that's there in letter D? There are people who are going to want to know, what's that code? Here's the code. I ran out of room. (laughs) So here are the, the nations that have put Israel under captivity. They are Egypt. That was the first one. When they got into the land, the ten lost tribes were lost by Assyria. So that's what the A is. Then came Babylon that took the two tribes of the south and took them into exile. Then came Persia that came down capturing Babylon and setting Israel free to go back to the land again under their supervision. That was followed with Greece. And Greece held them under their supervision, oftentimes making them do idolatrous things or forcing idolatrous things upon them. And then last was Rome, who also forced upon them idolatrous worship coming from the lady that sits on their head. Babylon influenced Rome to to have a sacrifice done, a, a whole uh, idolatrous setup done in the whole temple area. Rome is the head that is now. So you have Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Persia, and Greece. That's the five who had fallen by John's day. And the one that is now was Rome. So that's the fifth head. There's yet another, uh, I'm sorry, the 
That is the sixth head. I'm sorry. There is another one yet to come. So Rome's here. There's another one. I'm going to take myself through history. I'm up to here right now. There is another king that's coming, the seventh king. This is the one we will call the Antichrist. All right? Everybody with me? So you had Egypt. They held Israel in captivity. Assyria took them far away and brought them into idolatrous worship. You had Babylon that brought them into idolatrous worship, and they wouldn't even leave Babylon. Remember that? We'll come to that in another time. Babylon, then you had Persia, Greece, now Rome, and there's another one coming out here. One yet to come. And that's, uh, you and I are living somewhere right in here somewhere before that time. Fair enough? All right. So the seventh king will be like the other single manifestations of the beast at first. So here's what I saw. As you look at this, look at what it says. The beast that was, I'm sorry, and when he comes, this seventh king, when he comes, he must continue a short time. The beast that was and is not is himself also the eighth and is of the seven and is going to perdition. We had not seen what the seventh head looked like. That's because it's going to be out here. Now, now follow where where we're going with this. The seventh head is going to make an appearance just like the others had prior to that. And this seventh one, that's where you would come at Daniel chapter 11, and you'll read down to the end of Daniel chapter 11, and this last king is one whose time is cut short. All it says about him is his time is cut short. What it says about him in Revelation is this seventh head is assassinated. It's ended. And then there's something that looks like a resurrection that takes place. But it says that what the resurrection is, is the beast himself. Now follow this. Everything up to this point has been single heads that show up. Even the seventh king. But when the seventh king is taken out, there's no more charade anymore. No more facade anymore. The beast himself shows up. All seven heads all ten horns, and that's what the people are going to see as the one who takes this, um, uh, who who does this um, abomination of desolation. It's the beast that puts himself up as God. I want you to think for a moment, what's it going to be like when the people who are sitting there at that time see a seven-headed beast with ten horns to it? They are seeing, if I can say it this way, they are seeing the reincarnation. That's the way I'll say it this time. The reincarnation of Pharaoh, the reincarnation of, um, I forget now the the king of Assyria's name, of uh, Nebuchadnezzar. They'll see Alexander. They'll see Julius Caesar or maybe Nero. I'm not sure which one of those, whoever's going to represent the Roman kingdom. And whoever that seventh one is, they're going to see all of them as one. That's what they're going to worship. That's what you're going to make an image to. That's never been seen before, kids. I don't know about you, but I get downright excited about that. Let's let's go to letter E. Now let me read letter E. The seventh king will be like the other single manifestation of the beast at first. 
He will have a brief dictatorial run. Look, look what it says in uh, Revelation 17 um, and verse 10. There are also seven kings. Five have fallen. One is. The other is not yet come. And when he comes, he must continue a short time. So he's the one who gets to start the conquest in, in, uh, of, the, of, the, of the tribulation. He's the one that gets it started, but he's going to die in that. He's going to be assassinated in that. Uh, matter of fact, that's your next blank, I think, down through there. Um, he'll be charismatic, winsome, good with words, and with military conquest. He'll possess supernatural powers. He'll be highly successful in his conquest, but he will be assassinated by a head wound. He will then be, and I looked hard to find a word, and I think this is the word that covers it. He will be subsumed by the beast himself. It will look like a resurrection. This will happen just before the conquest of Jerusalem, where he will attack and kill the two witnesses and sit on the throne in the temple of God as if he is God. The beast, then, is the eighth king. Everybody everybody follow where I'm at? That beast, then, is going to become the eighth king because he's simply going to overwhelm what was the seventh king, raise him up, and with he's got all the authority and power of each of all the other kings who were the worst of those kings. And it's been Babylon that has inspired all of them into this frenzied bloodletting that's been going on since the beginning of that, of that time. All right? Now, let me go on because i got just a couple of other things I want to cover real quick. The ten horns. Let's go on to verse 12. The ten horns which you saw are ten kings who have received no kingdom as yet, but they, they receive authority for one hour as kings with the beast, not with the seventh head, with the beast. So this is after the beast has now come to be power. He's now being worshiped. He's now, the mark of the beast is on everybody there. And now these ten horns have become the ten kingdoms that will help him occupy the world. Now listen, Satan is not omnipresent. He can't be every place at the same time, unlike God who can be every place at the same time. It's one thing to conquer a nation, as Russia is finding out. It's one thing to conquer a nation. It's another thing to occupy a nation. You've got to have enough people to help you occupy that in order to keep it under control. So he's got the opportunity, the conquest. He's conquered a lot of territory, but he's living in Jerusalem, the beast is. He's not omnipresent. How's he going to take care of it? He's got 10 kings that work with him to make sure that everybody is following the beast, is worshiping the beast, has the mark of the beast, has the trade of the beast. That's what those 10 nations are doing. That's why they're only going to be there for a short time. They're only going to be there that little short time just prior to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ that's going to destroy all of them. I just thought of something there that I I meant to bring up, and that was, um, let me see if I've got it written down here. Oh, I know. Here we go. Um, These will make war with the Lamb, and the Lamb will overcome them. Now, remember earlier it talked about it'll make a war with the followers of the Lamb, and they get overcome. But when, he's, when these now have thought of themselves as so great and so powerful, they're going to try to take on the Son of God, the Lamb of God. And as it says here, and the Lamb will overcome them, for he is Lord of lords and King of kings, and those who are with him are called chosen and faithful. Um, let me pick up to verse 16. 
It says, the ten horns which you saw on the beast, these will hate the harlot, make her desolate and naked and eat her flesh and burn her with fire. For God has put it into their hearts to fulfill his purpose, to be of one mind, to give their kingdom to the beast until the words of God are fulfilled. And the woman you saw is that great city. Now, I want to, I want to get this, this point across to you. The ten horns hate the harlot. One reason. The ten horns are there to make sure that only the beast is worshipped. You're not worshipping anything else. It's only the beast. Babylon has not cared who you worship. She doesn't care which god you are, which principality you look at. She doesn't care if you just want to worship silver or a lamb or whatever else. She has not cared. That's unacceptable to the ten. Because if you have somebody who's just going to lead people in frenzied worship anything out there, they won't be worshiping the beast. And their dedication is to the beast and the beast alone. So they're going to wipe her out. She represents too much excess. She represents too much dissipation. She represents too much lack of control. She's frenzied and ready to go any place. People are intoxicated. They don't want intoxicated people. They want people who follow what they say. Can I tell you, that's hardly any different than the way communist governments have worked. They work to use anybody you can to make sure that the people are all conquered. But once they're conquered, you find out, really, they didn't like LGBTQ. They didn't like any of that, so they kill them off. That's right. They didn't like people who talked about racial things, so they killed them off. They didn't like the intellectuals that supported them all that way, so they killed them off. Are you seeing where we're coming from? That's what these ten are going to do. They're going to recognize this woman's dangerous. She can have people rising up in some sort of frenzy that we can't control. Kill her. It won't even be God that takes her out. God is not the one that's going to destroy Babylon. It's the ten horns. And he put it in their heart to hate her. When we say our God is an awesome God, he is an awesome God. Okay, if you, if you didn't get letter F uh, and the, the ten horns is an alliance. It's an alliance of ten lesser nations. Brothers and sisters, I hope that we're seeing this is big deal. This is what's coming. This is what's ahead for us. This is what is out there. This is what God is going to do. We want to be those people who have made our peace with God now. Now's the time to make your peace with God. Now's the time to look this thing over and say, wait a minute, I'm not my own God. I'm not as sovereign as I thought I was. I humbly bow before the Lord Jesus Christ and recognize that he and he alone is worthy of worship. All of my silly, foolish arguments about how great I am or about how this is my right or this is my right are now wiped out in obscurity. Jesus Christ is the only God there is. Everything that comes less than him is sinful, kids. Just plain sinful. And he's calling people to a righteous time with him. He's, got, he's going to redo this whole earth. The whole thing's going to be restored, and you have an opportunity to be in that whole restored thing with him. Father, thank you so much for the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for the joy of salvation. 
Father, these things are not joyful to talk about. These are tough things, but we also recognize that you are also a very tough God. You're not domesticated. You're not the God that we paint you out to be so many times. You are a jealous God. You are a one true God, but we also know you're just, you're holy, and you're righteous. To be with you is to have all the life there is. Thank you for what you're doing in us, in Jesus' name. last days are all going to be determined. The biggest issue in the last days is going to be the issue of worship. That's where the biggest issue is going to be. Because what is it that they're, they're all about? It's about whether they worship the beast or not. Did they worship the image? Did they have the mark? Did they worship the image? It's going to be about worship. It's going to be, listen, the angel came down and said, here's the everlasting gospel. Worship God who created all things. Worship Him and Him alone. That's the everlasting gospel. It's going to come down to that, kids. The whole of the the millennial reign is going to be about worship. It's going to be about the people who worship and who now are prospering on the land that God grants to them. This whole thing is about worship. We cannot afford to make that a small issue in our lives. Worship is where you're actually coming into the presence of the Lord. You're going to start with thanksgiving. You're going to say, thank you, Lord, for all you've done. You're going to get your heart right so that you're really thanking God for what he's done. Then you're going to move into praising him. You're now recognizing his names. You're recognizing his character. And then you're moving into being in his presence. That's worship. And that's the issue of the end days. May God grant us worship. Thank you, Father, for what you're going to do, the way you're going to do it. We submit ourselves to you anew and afresh, and we'll thank you for it. In Christ's name, amen. We hope God has encouraged you with today's message by Pastor White. Thank you for joining us at the Edgemont Bible Church. We'd love to have you visit us if you're ever in the area. For directions, more information, or to support the ministry of Edgemont Bible Church, please go to our website at edgemontbiblechurch.org. That's edgemontbiblechurch.org all one word, dot org. You can also follow us on Facebook at Edgemont Bible Church, where the Sunday morning message is broadcast live.